this morning to the book of 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, we have been in this book now, this short book, three chapters, last recorded words of the Apostle Peter that we have. We've been in this book now for a number of Sundays, looking at some very, very important things from this, this particular letter. You know, there's nothing like staring death in the face to focus and even rearrange your thoughts. Priorities get adjusted. The main things become clear. And uh, you begin to really understand what are the main things. I've never heard of anybody as they were dying who wanted to know what the stock market closed at yesterday. Never seen anybody yet on their deathbed want to know what was the score of the big game or what's going to be on television tonight. Something about last times that begins to really get people focused. And these are Peter's last words. He knows and he tells us in the letter that death is imminent. As a matter of fact, not just death, but actually a martyr's death as he would be executed by the emperor Nero. And so James, in his book, chapter 4, verse 14, describes our lives as even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Anybody here that's over 50 years old can probably attest to the fact that it is absolutely astounding how quickly the years go by. And if you're not there yet, if Jesus tarries, you'll get there. And in this letter, this brief letter, as I said, three chapters, Peter shares his last exhortations and his last warnings to believers. He deals with Christians individually. He deals with the church collectively. And he also speaks about the last days. Now, we believe we're in the last days. Actually, the last of the last days. And even if Jesus returned is many years from now, which I don't think that it is. But if it were, this is, these are our only days. You know, this is the only life we have. You have one shot at this. The purposes of God, the plans of God, the will of God for your life. We just have this one opportunity. And our faithfulness here, our commitment to the things of God, to His truth and to His purpose for our life, will have great determination of the position that we will hold with Him in His everlasting kingdom. So the words in this letter are as much for us as they were for those early believers. And as we talk about Peter's take about the last days, we need to understand, uh, and I think it will help you as you study your Bible, that the only way to get a full and complete picture of God's view of the end times, the last days, would be to go to all the different places in the Bible where the subject is dealt with. I think sometimes the reason people get off into tangents and sometimes get off into some wrong thinking is because they have tunnel vision. They're only looking at one aspect or looking for one uh, person's take on it. But you know, actually, there are a number of passages in the Bible that deal with the end times. And so Peter has uh, his take. And then, of course, we know John has his take. We call it the book of the Revelation. We know that even in the Old Testament, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, there are scriptures there and others that deal with the end times. Jesus taught about the end times. Paul mentions uh, the last days of the church age. So the only way that you get a full picture would be to look at all those different passages and what they say. None of them contradict each other. They all add a different aspect to it that once you get some of those things sorted out in your thinking, you realize where we're coming to. Well, Peter was looking at it from the standpoint of, uh, of how the world was going to react to the church and to the preaching of the Word and the Scriptures. And so he has some pretty stern words and some pretty tough things to say. 
But the more we are aware of what's going on around us in our world, the more I realize that we're in the days that Peter was speaking about here. This little book, very brief, but packed with important information. Last week, we began to look at what Peter said about people who would come into the church and they would have the intent of spreading false teachings. And in the process of telling and warning us about this, he makes the point that these people started right. That's kind of the, the paradox, if you will, because it wasn't that they were evil from the get-go, because he describes how that there, were people in, there will be people in the church that, it, that will know Jesus, but it would be better for them had they never known him than to know him and then go so far astray that their latter end is worse than they were at the beginning. Those are really frightening words, you know, in, in one sense of speaking. I mean, I, I don't live in mortal fear of that, that that's going to happen to me, but it is frightening in the sense that it actually happens to people. And, of course, if you never read these uh, kinds of passages... You don't think much about it. But when you read it, you realize this is as much Scripture as John 3.16 is Scripture. This is as true as Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. We have to take it all and let the Holy Spirit balance it in our thinking. And so um, these people that Peter spoke about started right, but they became corrupted in their motivations and in their thinking and in their teaching. But here's the other thing that we need to know. We learned this from the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. And you see it's this, that uh, these people wouldn't get far if there weren't people who had itching ears, Paul said. People, he goes on to say, who will not endure sound doctrine. To the Thessalonian Christians, Paul writes, and to us, of course, that we are responsible to, in chapter 5, verse 21 of 1 Thessalonians, we are responsible to prove all things. You will not get off in your thinking and your expectations. You will not get off in your doctrine if you stay close to the Word of God and you prove everything you hear. Our Western culture has become a culture of personality cults. We've become a culture of contests. I mean, it's amazing how many programs on television and in media are contests in nature. We have, you know, uh, American Idol, uh, you know, America has talent or Britain has talent or whatever. You know, you've got all these, even, even the uh, network that used to uh, give us all those good recipes to cook those good things. A lot of it now is contest between, you know, how many people can take a squid and a bottle of ketchup and who can make the best meal out of it, you know, or whatever. Uh, and we have these uh, um, popularity contests. That's what a lot of this stuff is. It's who looks the best, who's the most handsome, who's the hottest, who's, you know, it's all of that kind of stuff. And even now in American political life, that's what a lot of that is. It's, it's popularity contests. It's if people like the way you talk, if they like the way you present things. You may not present anything worth listening to, but, you know, if you look good and you talk smooth, maybe, you know, I mean, it's just, it's really, it's sad that so many people in our culture today, they've stopped thinking in any critical way or any constructive way. It's all about uh, perception. It's all about uh, looks. It's, it's all about, you know, the way things are presented. It's not really about substance. And we cannot do that where the Bible's concerned. We can't do that where spiritual things are concerned. Because all of that that I've just been describing is a lot of carnality. It is born out of 
uh, emotions. It's born out of the flesh. It's born out of carnality. But when we come to the things of God, we have to learn to stay spiritually grounded. Praise the Lord. And so we have to go to the Word to prove what we're hearing. It's not whether or not we like people. It's not whether or not they're a smooth operator. It's not whether or not they put on a good show. It's about are they telling us the truth? And I'm going to say something else that needs to be said to all believers, but since you're here today, you'll get to hear it. Uh, It's not about people just telling us what we want to hear. There are a lot of things I want to hear, I would like to happen, but I don't need to be lied to. And I sure don't need to be lied to when I get to church. I don't need to be manipulated when I get to church by people who have wrong motives and people who just want to keep their game running. Christianity is not a performance-based operation. And you could say that about a number of levels. We don't get to heaven because of performance. We get to heaven because of what Jesus did. But we also are not really pleasing God because we run a show and call it ministry. A lot of stuff today in the, quote, Christian world has very little substance. I mean, we could make a few tweaks and this place would be filled this morning. But those tweaks would mean... I couldn't even preach this. Those tweaks would mean we wouldn't worship in the spirit. We wouldn't speak with tongues. Those tweaks would mean we wouldn't lay hands on people unless it's in a back room somewhere or after the service is over when most people don't even see or pay attention. Those tweaks would mean that we would never take the time we take to teach about giving and receiving and offerings and tithes and those things. And one of those tweaks would be that we would never tell people that anything really is wrong. We'd only emphasize a a, uh, false image and false word about God's long-suffering grace and mercy to the point that as Peter said, or as Jude would say rather, that it would turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. That's happening in the church world today. People are going to places and they're basically being told, you don't have to change. You know, God loves you just the way you are. Well, God does love us the way we are, but he also loves us too much to leave us the way we are. Any spiritual experience that doesn't produce a change is not a godly spiritual experience. Amen. Now I asked you last week, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want to put anybody on the spot or embarrass anybody or make you mad either because I've already done enough of that already, I guess. But I'm, uh, I do want to uh, make mention that I asked you last week if you'd read the book of Jude. You know that long book of Jude. <laughs> and that was, the, that was the homework assignment. If you did read it, you had to have noticed the similarities between Jude and 2 Peter. You would have, to see that some, you'd have to have seen that some of the same type of expressions and thoughts are used. Both Peter and Jude deal with corruption in the church, and they also deal with scoffers and mockers from without. But one of the things that I need to get over in this service this morning, it's very important to understand, is that the things that Peter and Jude would call error and even things that are sinful that they were concerned about being brought into the church are things that are already in the world. Things that are a part of the beliefs and a part of the lifestyle of people that are in the world. In other words, these are not new things necessarily, but it's the church's version of those things. And that's how we get churches that are uh, sanctioning same-sex marriage and ordaining homosexual people to the ministry. That's how we get churches where people who are living 
together, unmarried, living uh, in sin, can go week after week after week, and they never hear anything that convicts them that they're fornicators or adulterers. This is how people can, can be involved in a church, and, you know, nothing seems to change. They smoke the same things, snort the same things, drink the same things, tell the same vulgar jokes, use the same foul language, and commit the same sexual sins, and commit the same fraud, and commit the same other kinds of sins as the world. You see, what they were describing in these two books, Second Peter and the book of Jude, is simply that people are bringing these things that are already in the world, and they're bringing men to the church, and they're trying to give them some kind of a, quote, pseudo-sanctified veneer. And the things that God said were wrong, whether he said they were wrong 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago, he has not changed his mind about. He's not changed his mind about. And so when you see the lifestyle of the world and you add these things as elements of false doctrines and practices... And then on top of that, you have from the outside scoffers and mockers toward those who do hold to the truth of the Bible. Then what you see is a picture of where the church in America is right now. We're living in the book of Jude. We're living in the book of 2 Peter. We are there. We're not going to get there. We are there. The only way that we can affect the culture is by a true word-based Holy Ghost-filled revival, restoration, renewal, refreshing, whatever you want to call that. We're not going to change this thing because we vote for a certain person. If anything, the evangelical church should have learned in the last 40 years is we've elected all kinds of different people and we're still worse off today as a country than we ever were. If you want to find out where the church is today, go back and do a little history and look at Rome and the early church, the first, second centuries in, 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 in Rome, and you will see where we are. The reason Jude and Peter wrote what they wrote is because they were living in the same kind of atmosphere that we are. Now, God grant you, it was worse for Peter because he was about to be martyred. But there are people being martyred today in this world. Maybe not in the United States. But if Jesus tarries his coming, I will not be surprised if there won't be Bible-believing ministers, at least, that will end up jailed. For what they preach. You know, I don't know, you know, if you're not in ministry, maybe you don't even think about those kind of things. But for me, I've, I've had to come to terms with the fact that I know I can't compromise the truth. And so if I end up in jail, I hope you'll at least come visit me. Uh, we'll just have a jail ministry. You say, well, I think all that's a little overdone. I, I think that's a little extreme. Yeah, and, and people who have that attitude thought 30 years ago that they would never live to see the day that a man married a man and a woman married a woman and even did it in a church. Those same people uh, are the people that turned a blind eye to the millions of babies murdered by abortion. The same kind of people that don't ever want to hear anything about this because, you know, that's just, that's just not positive. You know, that's, we don't want to hear about that. And I understand that there are ministries who have a specific assignment from God and, and they, they stay on track and they need to stay on track about what they're saying. But I know this, that when you pastor a local church, you can't dodge these issues forever. And so from a pastoral point of view, the last days presents a number of challenges. And the general attitude of the world toward the church and the message of the gospel is becoming more and more hostile. I mean, 
you just wouldn't believe if you didn't see and hear some of the comments that people are making. And, and I'm not picking on young people because I'm this old, bald curmudgeon. You may debate that point, but, but that's not why I'm saying this. But I'm telling you that among people very young, like college age and younger, you might be shocked at how many people in that age group have no, no compunctions at all about speaking blasphemy against God, against the Word, against the church. How many of those people um, think that it's just fine to kill a baby up to the point of birth? They think that there's no problem with all this. I mean, we could go on and on, and I'm not going to spend all my time this morning just giving you statistics and all the rest, but it's very sad. We live in a country where more, is, more money is spent on pet food than is given into the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're living in a country where, where people uh, just live on alcohol and pills. Many people, I mean, are functioning. Basically what we would call functioning alcoholics. Functioning drug addicts. And a lot of people think that if it's a prescription, if a doctor wrote it, then it's okay. And we have, a, we have a, 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 an enormous amount of people who basically are addicted. They cannot function without some kind of a psychiatric drug or they can't function, they think, without the help of alcohol. And we're seeing the results of it. And if Jesus tarries his coming, we're going to see that these situations will get worse and worse. And what's going to happen is somewhere along the line, some of these people are going to wake up and they're going to be in such a state. And you know what? They're going to blame somebody. When all of these young people whose bodies are being mutilated Ten years from now decide I was deceived, I was sold a bill of goods, I made some horrible decisions, we're, we're going to have a nightmare, a mental health nightmare when some of these kids that are not even grown up yet, their bodies have not even fully developed, their homo hormonal systems are not, you know, set completely and they're going to realize that somebody lied to them. You're talking about the anarchy and the anger and the murder and the hatred and the spewing of venomous uh, cursings and, and also lies and exaggerations. It's, it's, it's just a mess out there. So the church has to decide, are we going to crawl in a hole and hide and pretend it doesn't exist? Or are we going to preach truth? Are we going to contend, as Jude says, for the faith once delivered to the saints. Are we going to take the guff? Are we going to be, take the criticism? Are we going to be mocked and scorned and scoffed at and speak the truth and live the truth? Or are we going to compromise and go along to get alone? That's what we have to decide. And I can tell you, we're not compromising. You say, well, amen. You say, well, you know, uh, uh, Jesus preached love. Yeah, he did. He loved you enough to tell you the truth. That's what the Bible's all about. Love is not an ooey-gooey feeling. Love is not escaping or running away from responsibility for truth. Love is telling the truth. Not hatefully, but in love we tell the truth. So... Peter said, from within the church there will arise false teachers who will bring in damnable heresies. Notice plural, heresies. Different types of false doctrine. They will especially lead people into sexual sin and covetousness and greed. Those are the two major areas that Peter and Jude focus on. They give examples, like for instance, the, the society of the days when Noah was on the earth right before the flood. 
They talk about Lot and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Jude speaks about Israel when it got to a point of unbelief and only two of the original 12 spies even got into the promised land. They were the only two of the first generation that actually entered. When you think about that and meditate on that for a moment, you realize how serious that was. Of all the people that left Egypt, only two of that first generation ever made it into the promised land. So to say, well, there is no such thing as judgment, that's, that's an error. You might say, well, you know, Jesus took my judgment and he took my sins and he took my punishment and he became a curse. Yes, that's true. We preach that. But that does not mean that you have the benefits of that if you don't receive it. So if you've got a culture where most of the people are not even born again, then they are still opening themselves up for the devil to steal and to kill and to destroy. Amen? I would rather preach shouting messages. And we will get to some. But in verse 4 of the book of Jude... He describes what these false teachers do in this area as turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. In other words, taking something that's biblical, right, good, and powerful that we all enjoy, the grace of God, but taking the principle and perverting it. Turning it into lasciviousness. And... um, If you want to know what lasciviousness means, it means being filled with or showing sexual desire. Now, I'm not trying to be crude, and I don't want to uh, dwell on this. It's not my favorite topic to talk about. But we're living in a society today where that is everywhere. That's all people are talking about. This is all that people seem to want to focus on. Some synonyms for the word lasciviousness would be dirty, filthy, foul, gross, indecent, obscene, pornographic, trashy, and vulgar. Just think about what you've seen in the news in the last six weeks. These things are destructive enough on their own when people practice these kinds of sins. But when somebody tries to justify these things and tell people they're okay under the guise of God's grace, it becomes blasphemous. And I know that there are preachers who I'm sure mean well, and I'm not not trying to get in a fight with anybody, but I'm sure they mean well, but they they would probably say, well, you know, I don't want to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about that in church. That, you know, that's out in the world, and, and I'm just not going to say that to anybody. I, we're not going to go there. We've got other things to teach. Well, yes, we have other things to teach, but if you love people, you're going to tell them the truth. You're going to tell them the truth. Both Peter and Jude remind us, as I said a while ago, of judgment that was found in Scripture when people tried these things in the past. You see, this is not new. The devil isn't creative. I've said that several times already. This isn't new stuff. There's no new sin. It's just being magnified by uh, the media situation we have today, the ability we all have to look at so many things. Uh, We hear these things and see these things much more than maybe would have been done uh, many years ago. But these really aren't new. So just like these situations ended in destruction for generations past, the present situation won't end any differently. You can't have a nation that sanctions the killing of millions of its citizens just because they have not yet come forth from the womb. You can't do that and expect God's best. And you add all the rest of this. And I'm telling you, and I'm not going to go into detail, I don't even want to talk about it, but uh, you've you've not seen the end of the grossness. You haven't heard the end of where this stuff, some of this stuff's going to go. 
And there are things that people would only shudder to think about 20, 30 years ago that you're going to hear about and people are going to espouse. You better protect your children. You know, I know I'm older. I have grandchildren. Our, our children that were raised up in our home, they're now adults. But I'm telling you, you need to guard your children. I'm not sure that that prestigious school that maybe you went to yourself, that your goal is that your kids go there, I'm not sure that's the right move. You better pray about that. Because it's probably not the same school that you went to. Same buildings, same grounds, but not the same school. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you, I am telling you what to do. I'm telling you, you better pray about it. And you better be very careful. Both of these writers likened these people to animals. Now, I didn't say that. They did. It's in your Bible. Peter said, like natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. The Amplified says, creatures of instinct. Some of the behavior that's going on today in our world is animalistic in nature as far as the way that uh, people respond. It's all about instinct. It's all about if it feels good, do it. And one of the great deceptions is that uh, sexual immorality is really only physical. I mean, we're hurting nobody. You know, this is consensual. Uh, so whatever, whatever. But what people deceived in this way don't know is that God in creation, He created a spiritual component of sex that you cannot escape. That's why I said these two are one. You can't escape that spiritual component. It is not just physical. It's not two dogs who create puppies. It's two humans, two spirit beings that become one. And it's, it's very, very serious. And what a lot of people don't realize, and this is where the mockers and the scoffers come in because they would have a heyday with a statement that I'm getting ready to make, but it doesn't make it any less true, is that there are spirits that are tied to sexual perversions. They carry their own deceptions, and they are never satisfied. The thing you've got to understand about human appetites is even if they are satiated for the moment, they will arise again. And when people get off into perversions and open themselves up to evil spirits, then those appetites, those perverted appetites, they are continually coming up in their lives and they are over and over and over again. And the end of that is death. Now I'm going to read this morning from Second Peter, beginning in verse number... Um, 10. Well, no, I want to start with verse 9. And I'm going to read from the NIV. Uh, so you, just, you can listen or read along. But uh, Peter says this, and he had just taught about, talked about the angels that were judged because they fell. He talked about the civilization in Noah's day and how Noah and seven others were the only people who escaped that judgment. And how uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed and Lot escaped. And so he's talking about God can uh, bring the righteous out of these things. He can cause the righteous to escape. And aren't you glad for that? You see, I, I know what I'm preaching is not shouting ground, but, and I'm not trying to put fear into you. But I want you to know what's going on, and I want you to know what you're facing. I want you to know that probably for many of us who are older... Probably our grandkids have already seen and heard more filth than we knew by the time we were 20 years old. You need to know what's going on. So Peter says concerning these things he just said about judgment and the escaping of the righteous and so forth. He says, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh. And despise authority. I want to stop a minute and say, 
that one of the things that's going along with all of the mess that's out in our world today is that the people that are deceived and involved with this totally despise authority. Totally despise authority. Whether it's the Supreme Court or whether it's a pastor behind the pulpit or whether it's a policeman on the street or whether it's their parents, they despise authority. They're deceived. Now, I'm not saying they're hopeless. They need deliverance. That's why the church has to be the church. And that's why we need a Holy Ghost revival. You're not going to counsel this mess out of the culture. You're not going to medicate with a pill bottle this mess out of the culture. The only hope is deliverance through the name of Jesus. The church of today is going to have to become more of a deliverance center. More of a place where we deal with the devil and he never wins. Amen. Amen. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant. Now you just think about some of the newsreels you've seen. Some of the things you've heard people say in the, in the last year. Bold and arrogant. They're not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. In other words, they're blasphemous toward the things of God and toward the kingdom of God. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. You know, you, you just can't really sugarcoat that one. If you believe the Bible, then you have to know this is, this is where people are heading. We've got to snatch them out of the fire. He goes on to say, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. Anybody seen any parades lately? To carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. In other words, Peter was talking about how those things are brought into the church. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way. See, this is what's really an ouch, a painful thing. Because there are people involved that look just like the rest of the world who at one time, they were on the straight way. Some of these are ministers of the gospel today who no longer preach the gospel, who no longer live a sanctified life. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam. You can read his story in the Old Testament. Who loved the wages of wickedness. See, always there's that sex and money thing. That's where the big problems come. That's where humans are most vulnerable. Who loved the wages of wickedness, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water. In other words, when you really see what's going on, there's nothing there of any value. Mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world, this is one of the most frightening verses, I think, in all the New Testament. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Now, you say, where do we go from there? Well, Peter's not finished 
In chapter 3, he says in verse 3, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They, but uh, their own evil desires. Let me find where I, they will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestor died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. You see, this is where then the world's voice comes in to say the church, to the church, you're not telling us the truth. If this was going to happen, it would happen. In other words, where is the coming of the Lord? We've heard about this all our lives. People will tell you that. I've heard that all my life. I've heard that since I was a kid. My mom believed that. My grandmother believed that. And, and they're not sure if they, uh, and in some cases they don't believe he's coming. Peter said this was going to happen. We live in this passage right here. Have you, have you ever thought about why there's all this uh, hand-wringing and, and uh, all that that has to do with, quote, climate change? Now, we understand there are people making big money off of it. There are people who are writing it for all they can get and so on and so forth. Some of the people who talk about it own waterfront properties. <laughs> Think about that. But anyway, uh, there are those who truly are afraid. You know, They truly believe that we're going to run out of air, we're going to run out of water, we're going to run out of... Uh, energy, we're going to run out of resources, we're going to run out of food, that they truly believe there are too many people on the earth. And so, like in Holland, just in the last couple of weeks, if you're autistic, you can be euthanized. See, people don't realize in their little bubbles, watching their game shows and their ball games and and doing their own little thing in their own little world, they don't always realize what's going on. The church has got to stand up and tell people truth. We've got to declare the truth. Well, one of the reasons those who are, we might say, true believers in that regard, one of the reasons that they believe this is because they don't believe the Bible. They are scoffers. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, a Bible believer knows that this world is going to pass away. You won't stop it by separating your plastic from your cans. <laughs> You're not going to keep the earth from passing away with a fervent heat. So yes, we believe in global warming. Extreme global warming. It's in this book, 2 Peter chapter 3. The earth and the elements will pass away with a fervent heat. You say, well, what, what are you talking about, preacher, really? I'm saying that the reason people are, have gone to seed on these kinds of issues is because they think this is all there is. They don't believe in the coming of the Lord. They don't believe that Jesus is going to set up a kingdom uh, upon the earth. They don't believe there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, which Peter speaks about in this third chapter. They don't believe that. They believe the only earth we have is this one, and we've got to save this one because this is all we have, and it's all we're ever going to have. And so we've got to figure out a way that we can make this one last forever. Friend, it's not going to last forever. No matter what you do to steward the earth. And I don't believe we should uh, deliberately mess up the planet. I don't think we should deliberately pollute things. And, and I don't think we should release harmful things into the atmosphere or into the water that kills people and makes them sick. I'm not for that. But I'm telling you, this world is not going to remain as it is. And I don't know about you, but I for one am very glad. So I know that God promised me and every believer who is connected to the Great Commission, as Philippians 4 declares, that he will supply all our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So no matter what happens. So what would I say to you? 
have a steak. <laughs> what would I say to you? Buy a V8. I'm not talking about something to drink. I'm talking about something to drive. I would say, if you want a big house, get a big house. I'd say, if you want an extra pair of shoes, get an extra pair of shoes. You serve a God that's bigger than shoes and houses and cars and all the rest. Some people would say that's irresponsible. Some people would say that's almost blasphemous. You shouldn't say that. Um, well, drive a Prius if you want to. If you have a Prius, don't, don't be mad at me. Forgive me. If you like it, go for it. I will pass you, and I promise I'll wave if I see it's you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All right. I'm running out of time, and you're very glad of that. I'm running out of time, but what we find in chapter 3 is Peter wraps up this thing by telling us that the whole world scenario will come to an end that God will take care of. And he makes clear that the whole scenario of these false teachers and false doctrines and the world kind of being allowed into the church world and all that kind of stuff, it's intended to neutralize the church. It's intended to relegate the church as being kind of like a relic of the past that there's no real power for anybody. And to put the church in a place where people generally don't respect the church or listen to it anymore. But of course, the only message, and this is important, the only message that is the power of God unto salvation is the gospel. Amen. It's not a political message. It's not a climate message. It's not a sexual orientation message. It's not a new educational system. It's none of that. It is the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's people being born again and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and living their life of faith based on what the source of our faith, the Word, says. And that's when we change and that's when we have the ability to change our world. You will never change a culture by compromising with it. It'd be like the illustration we use sometimes. It'd be like going to some remote part of the world and finding a tribe of cannibals and think that you're going to change them because you introduced them to silverware. Now, there's got to be a little more than that to change. So we're not talking about changing around the edges. We're not talking about tweaking. We're talking about a major move of God in the earth. I believe that based on other scriptures... Like Zechariah 10.1, ask you the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone grass in his field. Scriptures like Peter quoted from the book of Joel and all those scriptures in the New Testament that deal with the infilling and indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel like we were just referring to, Romans 1.16. I believe that the church is well able to bring change into our world. It's not going to be preserved like it is forever. We're not talking about that we're going to make the earth so good that the Lord will just have to come back because we're so wonderful. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that kind of kingdom now theology. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about a great awakening, a great restoration, a great renewal. And I know that not everybody will receive it. Not everybody's going to be saved. Not everybody's going to rejoice over it. But we can see a mighty move of God. And if you've got loved ones that are not saved, you need to get busy. If there's people you care about and you're not sure if they're saved or not, it's time to get in their face and make sure. I would rather somebody be mad at me because I put them in a spot about their eternal destiny than to assume something that's wrong and they go to hell. If we're going to do anything, church, it's time. We can't keep talking about what's going to happen. We hope it'll happen someday. It's time right now to pray down a revival. Woo, glory to God. It's time right now to declare the truth of the Word of God and to walk in the Spirit and to be open to the things of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the move of the Spirit because it is the power of the Holy Spirit that will set men free. Amen. Hallelujah. 
In Luke 6, 17, rather, Luke 17, when Jesus was asked about the end times and he responded to them, and he talked about the days of Noah and he talked about the days of Lot, similar to the same thing that Peter was talking about. As I said, we find different perspectives as we hear the different people of Scripture talk to us. And one of the things Jesus told about the last days is that they were going to be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. In what ways? I'm sure he meant that there were going to be evil things going on. But one of the things he did point out clearly was they built, they planted, they bought, and they sold. What does that mean? That means to a great extent, many things in the world will go on business as usual. People will be so busy doing what they do, they'll be busy buying and selling, building and planting, marrying, giving in marriage. All that's going to keep going on right up to the end. Some people are going to be caught totally by surprise, and others, like you and me, we're looking for him. We're looking for him. Now, I don't have time. We didn't cover, you know, there's so many, many things, many ways we could go here. But I had to get this out. The more the church contrasts between light and darkness, the more that people will scoff and scorn. And I'll just give you this list quickly and we're done. Jude gave us three things that we need to do. Number one, in verse three, he said we need to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Not a new version, the original one. Number two, in verse 20, he said you need to build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. That's praying in tongues. Number three, verse 21, he said to keep yourself in the love of God. Got to do that. Or you'll, you'll get so off track, so worried, so messed up, you won't be able to function. I'm not preaching these things for you to get worried or fearful. I'm preaching to tell you we need to confront these things with fearless boldness in the Holy Ghost. Earnestly contend for the faith. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourself in the love of God. And Peter said in 2 Peter 3.17, beware that you're not led away and fall from your steadfastness. Go back. Check. Don't take my word for it or any other preacher's word for it. Make sure what you believe is based in Scripture. Make sure you're not led away by wrong teaching. Don't allow yourself to be led away just because something sounds good. I mean, there's some stuff out there that my flesh would like to think, well, that's true, that would be good, and that'd make life a whole lot easier. But if it's not true, it isn't true. doesn't matter how it sounds. And then finally, Peter said in, in chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that we are to grow in grace and knowledge. Grow in grace. That's the true grace of God. True unmerited favor. Grow in that. Paul told Timothy, be strong in the grace. And so we're to grow in grace and we're to grow in knowledge. It's not a matter of getting saved today and then we never really get serious about the things of God ever again. And hopefully when you know, we think we're dying, we can get some things lined out. No, this is about a lifestyle. You know, I mentioned uh, earlier about how you'd probably fill the building if we'd make some tweaks. Well, if we never said anything about lifestyle, that'd be one of those tweaks that some people would appreciate. But that's not true. That's not helping anybody. If you live like the world, you're going to have what the world has. If you serve the devil and you don't serve God, you're going to get what the devil brings. So yes, it's an old-fashioned, uh, some would say outdated, but it really isn't. It's just a reality. This is how we live. And, uh, you know, you know if you're here all the time, we preach a number of other things. Every Sunday's not like this. I don't think next Sunday will be like this if you want to give us another chance. But, but I've got to tell you the truth. Amen. I'm too old. I've come too far. And I don't know a whole lot, but I know too much not to tell you the truth. 
I'm 65 years old, and I honestly uh, never thought 30 years ago that I would live to see some of the stuff that's going on in our world. And I'm sure some of you would agree. What's our response going to be? Do we ignore it? Do we hide from it? Do we decide, you know, well, let's get a one-way ticket to somewhere else in the world and get away from all this? Or do we stand up and be the church? Do we stand up and declare truth? Praise the Lord. The early church in Acts 17 turned the world upside down. They did it without the aid or help of any politician. They did it without the aid or help of any governmental entity. They did it with the power of the gospel. And I want to tell you, that's the way it'll be done today. In the next 12 or 14 months, you're going to hear a lot of church folk talking a lot of politics. Be careful. Be careful. Stay in prayer. Vote, yes. Pray, teach your children. Every opportunity you get, share the gospel. But do not put your confidence in any politician. Don't get off into that stuff. Amen. A number of people missed it about that. They gave us dates and all the rest that did not happen. We don't want to do that. And we're not going to do that here. Amen. Yes, we're conservative. Yes, we believe in pro-life. Yes, we believe that when you work, you should be able to keep as much of your stuff as, as possible. But we're not going to become a political arm of anybody's organization. Amen? Well, if I haven't made you mad before, I guess I just did. So uh, that'd be a good time to quit, Nick. Praise the Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, there are so many troubled and confused people in this world today. And Lord, you love every one of them exactly the same. You love every one of them as much as you love every Christian seated in this place today. You are no respecter of persons. Individuals make a difference, but you never do. always treat us the same. If we respond in the appropriate way, then you always respond in the same appropriate way to us. So Father God, today I pray that you would help us to take inventory of where we are, to be honest with ourselves, and Lord, stir us where those we love, our families, friends, neighbors, co-workers, whoever, that we will be faithful to declare truth. Keep us, Lord, from being obnoxious in, a, in an ungodly way. Keep us from having some haughty attitude like we're something special when the truth is we've just been redeemed. We've done nothing to earn this. Help us to have the right heart. But Lord, do help us to be bold. And help us to declare truth, I ask, in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, for your salvation. And while Christians are praying right now, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If there's anybody in the room or watching online, and you say, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know him. I want to be saved. You know, maybe, maybe you didn't appreciate everything I've said to you today. Maybe you don't agree with everything I've said today. I understand that. But I think that if you will be honest, you have to agree that Jesus is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so the beginning point, if you're not saved, is to come through and by Jesus. Approach the Father. Let him remake you in his own image. Let him change you. So if there's anybody anywhere, you say, that's me, and I want to pray right now. Lift your hand. We'll pray with you. If you're home, 
please ask Jesus right now to come into your heart. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe that you're speaking to me today through this message, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. So, Father God, I'm asking you to save me, cleanse me, wash me with the blood of Jesus. Make me a new creation in Christ. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you meant that, he came in. <laughs>